Uh, uh, Kendrick was early. Connecting Kendrick with early. I know that, that's, that's, that's kind of difficult to do, but my name with healthy eating, uh, that that's kind of can be difficult as well. And, and so we related this conversation with her. And uh, did, did we lose power on the... Oh, okay. And so we related this, this conversation with her. And I told her that, that at times I struggle with binge eating. And I said, you know, I'll, I'll be there at night sometimes. And I'll think, man, I, 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 need, I need, notice the word, I need something sweet. And so I'll get something sweet and eat it. And, but you know what? That didn't quite satisfy. I, I need something salty now. You know, and so, you know, hit the chips or whatever and eat something salty. And then, and I, and I said, no. And then Cassie finished a sentence for me. I know, Dad, now you need something crunchy, don't you? I said, yeah. She said, thanks, Dad. That's where I got it from. And, 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 and so, you know, we all understand, most probably, if not all of us, can relate with these intense cravings of tasting and ingesting. Those of you ladies who have been pregnant, probably most of you went through a time where you craved something during your pregnancy. Your husbands understand. They were the ones that maybe got up in the middle of the night to go get this or go to the store or make sure that your cravings were satisfied. Uh, which child was it? The hot sauce, Lisa. You had to have hot sauce. All bright. I mean, yeah. I mean, just and and I think that and when he was born, he loved hot sauce. I mean, he got it. He got it in the womb for nine months, and so it was just natural for him to drink it like water. You know, when when he was born. But, but maybe, maybe you've never had been pregnant or you're not a female, but, but you still can experience those intense cravings. Maybe it's a soft drink. I won't mention Dr. Pepper, okay? You know, may, maybe, maybe it's a soft drink or, or, or maybe it's sonic ice. I mean, how many of you had to go buy sonic? Because, I mean, no, no other ice was, you had to have sonic ice, you know? So the idea of sonic ice or maybe it was something sweet or Maybe it was something salty, or maybe it was something crunchy, or maybe it was a certain type of cuisine. You're just, you know, the good word hankering. You know, you're hankering for Mexican food or hankering for, for uh, 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 Chinese food. You know, we, we have, we all understand this experience of intense cravings. And, and, and when we have those cravings, those cravings can be very intense. And there are times when we will not usually stop searching or devouring until the craving is satisfied. Now, our text today contains the fourth and final commandment of Peter to his readers found in chapter 1, verse 13, through chapter 2, and verse 3. And that section has to do with regarding how believers are to live out their identity as the chosen of God. Uh, you remember the context. These are a group of believers who have been uh, forcibly trans, uh, uh, moved. They have been taken from Rome. Uh, the, the, the Jew, the, the, these are Jewish believers, more than likely, who have been uh, forced to leave Rome by the government, and they've been taken to what is modern-day Turkey. They've been separated from their community of faith. Uh, they've been scattered throughout. They're separated from family. Uh, they've lost, they've lost their, their businesses. They've lost their means of living. And here they are in this place, and, and all because uh, of, of, of their faith in, in Christ. And, and so Peter is, is writing to them about that as, as to remind them who they are and how they are to live out their identity as, as, these, as these foreigners in this, this land. Uh, and the command here is found in verse 2. If you look at verse 2, it says, Like newborn infants, and it's translated in the ESV, long for. 
long for. It's the word epipotheo. Uh, you can translate it long for, you crave probably. Uh, or sometimes it's translated desire. But I think crave kind of gives us the idea of the intenseness of this word. They are to crave, and he tells them, uh, like newborn infants long for or crave the pure spiritual milk. Now, Peter unpacks this command uh, in our text by talking, by stating three things about it. He's going to talk about the rationale behind the command. Why, why, why should we obey this command? Uh, what, what's the logic behind this command? Uh, why is it that he can make this command and we should obey this command? What's the rationale behind it? He's going to talk about the process of fulfilling the command. How do you go about it? Okay, here's the command. How am I to fulfill, fulfill that command? What things are expected from my life? What do I need to do in order to fulfill this command? And then he's going to talk about the objective of the command. What's the goal? What's the aim? What's the purpose? Why do we, ha- why do we have this command in the first place? But before we get to there, two prerequisites are crucial for a proper understanding of this text. And this is where we're going to park at this morning. We'll deal with the first thing. We'll talk about the rationale. But this is really where we're going to park at this morning. These two prerequisites to really understand this text, make sure that we have a good, uh, firm foundation of this text. The, the, The thing, first of all, is we have to identify the object of the craving. What If we are to crave, what is it that we're to crave? Well, you say, well, it's right there, the pure spiritual milk. Okay, what is that? What is the pure, pure spiritual milk? I mean, when he talks about, um, I mean, we, we know, I mean, none of us will go to our refrigerator tonight and say, hmm, where's that bottle of pure spiritual milk that I can take a swig before I go to bed tonight? You know, it's, it's not in the refrigerator. We're not going to find it. So what's he talking about here when he's talking about the pure spiritual milk? So we need to identify the object of the craving. If we're going to obey the command, we need to know what we're being commanded to do. But also, we need to understand the flow of thought. As we understand the flow of thought, we see how Peter is uh, putting this together. And and I know the print here on this next slide slide is is, kind of small, but I wanted to put all the text in there so that you could kind of see the the flow, the grammatical flow, the the thought process as Peter is going through that. Everything falls under, since you have tasted that the Lord is good, which is actually the the third verse. But since you have tasted that the Lord is good. That's the rationale of the command. And, and, And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Since you've tasted that the Lord is good... This is the command that you should be obeying. This is the command that you should be following. The rationale behind us obeying the command is because of our nature, because of who we are. Because what we have experienced makes the rational, logical choice for us to do as believers is to obey this command. If I'm a believer, the logical, the rational, the reasonable thing for me to do is to follow this command since, as a believer, I have tasted that the Lord is good. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a believer, you have tasted that the Lord is good. So since you have tasted that the Lord is good, then you have the command. Crave the pure spiritual meat. The rationale, since you have tasted that the Lord is good, 
the command, crave the pure spiritual milk, and then he gives us the process of how we fulfill that command. And just like everything else in the Bible, it's a matter of putting off and putting on. Putting off and putting on. You have to put off before you can put on. And so you have this here. Now remember, and we'll spend some time here next week, out of the four commands, there's four commands in chapter 1, verse 13 through 2, 3. The first two commands talks about our individual relationship with God. Because we've been chosen by God, because we are children of God, because we have been born with the imperishable seed, because of, there are two things that He tells us that we are to do. Those were individual commands. The last two commands are commands as it relates to the community. Because I am a child of God, I now not only have a, a different relationship with God between me and God, but I also have a different relationship with the church. I am now part of a community of faith. And all these things here that he tells us to put off are all things that are essential if a community of believers is going to be a loving community of believers, which was the third command that we looked at last time. So how do we love one another? How do we love one another? And he's going to tell us, these are the things that you have to put off. These are th- if these things are in your community of faith, you have no community. You have no community. So he says, since you've tasted, the Lord is good. There's the rationale. Here's the command. Crave the pure spiritual milk. How? By getting rid of these things. All malice. And we'll talk about that next week. So I'm not going to spend time defining in what the word says here. But all these things... Again, think about if these things were in the church. What kind of church would you have if you had malice in it? All deceit. What kind of church would it be if you had people that were deceitful with one another? And hypocrisy. What kind of church would you have if it was filled with hypocrisy? And envy. What kind of church would you have if, if people just envied one another? And all slander. Again, these are interpersonal characteristics. Peter isn't giving us a laundry list here. Peter isn't giving us a uh, uh, category. He's letting us know these are the things. This is how a church loves one another. You get rid of these things. You make sure. And notice, notice how many times. Look at the text, and again, we'll, we'll probably touch on this next week. Notice how many times he says the word all. So put away all malice and all deceit. And now, and when you look at. Look at it in the Greek text. That all also relates to hypocrisy and envy and all slander, all malice, all deceit, as well as hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Three times. Three times. All, 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 and, all, and, all, and, all, and. Peter's making the point here. It's not, it's not just enough for us to say, well, you know what? We got this 50% licked. We're to get rid of all of it. We're going to make sure it doesn't exist. So the rationale of the command, since you've tasted the Lord is good, the command crave the spiritual milk. How? By getting rid of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And here's the put on. He talks about, again, rationale. Since you've tasted the Lord is good, the command crave the spiritual, uh, 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 pure spiritual milk. How? You're to crave it like newborn babes. Like newborn babes. He gives a metaphor here. 
or a simile, one of the two, okay? It's either a metaphor, like, like our ass is a simile, right? There we go. Okay, all you English buffs, thank you. Uh, so, so we've got a simile here, okay? And so he's going to say, this is what it looks like. And we'll talk about that. When we, when, Lord willing, next week we'll talk about that. So there's the, we're, 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 to, we're to crave it like, like, like infants do, like newborn infants. And then here comes the objective or the goal. He says, since you have tasted that the Lord is good, the rationale, the command, crave the spiritual meek, uh, milk. How? By getting rid of these things. How? By want, desiring it like newborn babes. For what reason? So that, so that the text says, uh, he, he, talks, he says, I think the ESV translates it this way, like, like newborn infants in verse 2, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it, again, so that, so that, he says, by it you may grow into salvation. Well, what does that mean? Because they're already believers. They've tasted that the Lord is good. So what does he mean by growing into salvation? And we'll, we'll, talk, we'll mention a little bit about it today. We'll talk much more about it, Lord willing, next time. So we need to understand those two things. So the first thing we've looked at, we see here Peter's thinking. He gives us the rationale followed by the command. Then he tells us how you put off, you put on. This is what should not be characteristic of your community. This is what should be characteristic of your community. And this is the reason for it. This is the goal. This is the aim. This is what it should produce. It should produce growth into salvation. So we've got that. So keep that in your mind, not only this week, but next week as well as we get rid of it, uh, as as we look at this. So now... The second thing is, is looking at the object of the craving. This is going to take a little longer. The object of the craving, the text tells us. Verse 2, like newborn infants long for, there's the command, epipotheo. He talks about the fact you are to crave the pure spiritual milk. So, okay. Man, you got, you got done early, Greg. Let's go home, okay? <laughs> you know, but what is the pure spiritual milk? Now, what usually comes to our mind when we first think of the pure spiritual milk? Usually the Word of God, right? The milk of the Word of God. So, but is that what is being talked about here in this context? And I would, I would, make, this, I would make this argument with you this morning. While it, certainly can, while it certainly can include that, it is not an exclusive reference to God's Word. It certainly can include God's word, but it is it goes much it's much bigger than that, and it's not an exclusive reference to God's word. You say, well, well why, Greg, would you say that? Is because when you read about the milk of God's word elsewhere in Scripture, it has a negative connotation. Keep your place there in First Peter and go back a few pages to Hebrews chapter five. Hebrews chapter 5, and look at verse 12. Hebrews 5 and verse 12. The writer of Hebrews says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. He's saying you should be beyond that now. The milk of the word here, it's not, he's talking about something. This is for, you're immature. You're not ready for the, for the, like we had last night, the top sirloin steak of the Word of God, okay? You're not ready for that. 
You need to go back to the pablum. You need to go back to the formula. You need to go back to the milk because you should be teachers, but you're not mature enough to be there yet. And, and that should have happened. So the milk of the word here has a negative connotation. If you go further back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul here makes this statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, or carnal, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you... Sounds kind of like the things we're to put off, doesn't it? Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? First Corinthians, they had to, why did they have to go back to the milk of God's Word? Because they were worldly. They were worldly. But here, and this is why I say it's not exclusively the Word of God, because when you go back to 1 Peter, look at what he says again in 1 Peter. Uh, look at the text. He says, he says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow into salvation. This is not a, this is not a negative connotation here. This is not Peter slapping them, slapping their hands and saying, you're worldly and you're immature. Peter is making it clear that this milk is necessary for all believers, for all believers, if they are to grow to maturity in their salvation. If we're going to become more like Christ, if we're going to, to grow in our sanctification, if we are going to be able to stand before the Lord and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, that this milk is necessary. It, it, it's not, it's not like, like Paul uses it and like the writer of Hebrews says it. Listen, you should be, on, be beyond just the elementary doctrines. Uh, you, you should have matured by now. Or you're worldly. I, I can't teach you the, 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 the meat of the Word of God because you're, you're still worldly. You, you still are living according to the flesh. So it is not exclusively, it certainly is, we're going to see, it's going, it can include that. But to say, well, well this is, we, just need to, we just need to long for God's Word. We miss the point. We miss the point and we miss an important point. So if it is not exclusively the Word of God, which is my argument this morning, then what is Peter's point? What is Peter saying here? How can we determine what Peter means by the pure spiritual milk. The text tells us. When you look at verse 3, it says, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter is quoting from the Septuagint version of Psalm 34.8. Psalm 34.8. And in, in fact, keep your place there because we're going to go to Psalm 34.8. So you can already kind of be turning there. Uh, I know they're going to put, it, put, put these verses up on the screen but I want you to turn to Psalm 34, and we're going to... I should have marked it. We're going we're gonna to be here in just a second. Peter's use of Psalm 34, 8 and verse 3 gives us the answer. Now, before you look at Psalm 34, 8, look at verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. When you taste something and it's good, what is usually the next thing you do? Take another bite. After you do what? Swallow. You ingest it, right? You don't, take some, you don't get a, a Reese cup and go... <laughs> not me. You know, I... Mm, mm. 
I, I do mine a certain way. If I've got a regular Reese cup, I bite the edges all the way off, you know, the edge that's up. What's wrong, Siri? <laughs> you don't like Reese cups? <laughs> oh, you just don't like the way I eat them, huh? <laughs> and then, and then, you, then I take the top part of the chocolate off, okay, and then just kind of savor the rest, you know, savor the rest of it that way, okay? Some of you eat it, but anyhow, you usually when you taste something good, you savor it, and then you ingest it. You ingest it, okay? So he says. Since you have tasted that the Lord is good, what is being ingested in verse 3? Anybody? Not the word. Since you have tasted that the Lord. They've ingested the Lord. Okay? They've tasted and they've ingested the Lord. Now... He talks about earlier, he says, like newborn infants long for the spiritual milk. When infants are nursing, do they nurse so they can get the milk and then go... I've never seen an infant do that. Maybe you have. My wife nursed all three of our kids, okay? And not once did I see any of our kids latch on and then go... You know? They, they, they drank that milk... And we're fat little babies, okay? They got the, the nourishment that they needed. They got the nutrients that they needed. They, they don't just take it to, in, to, to, to taste it. They take it to ingest it. To taste something that is good is to ingest it. If I taste something and it's good, I'm going to, I'm going to swallow it. I'm going to get another bite because it's good. So you've got that going, you've got that dynamic going on here. So this idea when he says here, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, I want you and, and think about the correlation between that and tasting that the Lord is good. So how is the Lord good? Go to Psalm 34. And this is where, again, if if Peter's writing, which I think he is, to mainly Jewish believers they're going to know this passage of Scripture. Not only are they going to know, taste and see that the Lord is good, but they're going to know what's going on around it. So let's look at Psalm 34. Jubal read it this morning for our call to worship. The first three verses is a call for us to worship God. It's a psalm of David. It calls us to bless God, to praise God, to make our boast in God, to humble ourselves before God, to magnify God. Let us exalt His name together. Let us exalt His name together. Why? Why? Because first of all, He hears and answers our prayers. Verse 4, I sought the Lord, and He what? He answered me. He answered me. I sought the Lord, and He answered me. Verse 4, and delivered me from what? All my fears. All my fears. Look at verse 5. Those who look to Him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. God not only delivers us from all our fears, God delivers us from all our shame. Our shame. All the things that we've done in the past. All the things that we would never mention in 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 in, in, a, in a in a corporate setting, all those things that we're ashamed of. There's no more shame in Christ. Christ not only took the guilt of my sin, 
Christ took the shame for my sin. Look at verse 6. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. He delivers me from my troubles. Look at verse 37. The angel of the Lord, which is an Old Testament, uh, the angel of the Lord throughout the the Hebrew Scriptures uh, is believed to be the the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. The angel of the Lord encamps around those. He surrounds those who fear him and delivers him. In other words, there's no disappointment. There's no disappointment. Christ encamps around me. He encamps around me and delivers. I have protection in him. I don't have to be disappointed. I know I am safe. As we watched Wednesday night, uh, Pastor Steve Brown from Greater Bethlehem Baptist Church, God's got you. God's got you. He's got me. He's got me. Uh, Then we have the verse 8 where it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Why why does Peter use Psalm 34.8? The Lord is good. How is the Lord good? He hears and answers our prayers. He delivers us from all our fears. He delivers us from shame. He delivers us from troubles. He delivers us from disappointment. He delivers us from want. This list is an illustration of God's life-sustaining grace. Of God's life-sustaining grace. When I find myself wanting God's grace ministers to me. When I find myself disappointed, God's grace ministers to me. When I find myself in trouble, God's grace ministers to me. When I find myself experiencing the shame of past sins, God's grace ministers to me. I need not fear because God's grace ministers to me. God's grace hears my prayers and God's grace answers my prayers. And all this because the angel of the Lord, Christ himself, is, is like an like a, a embattlement. He's like a fence. He's like a, a, a protection or a force field, protective force field around my whole entire life. Think about how this would have encouraged Peter's audience who had been ripped from their homes, who were in a foreign land, who had to start all over, ripped from the fellowship of believers because they might take this family and throw them that way and that family. You didn't get get to choose where you wanted to live. Believers are now scattered everywhere throughout Asia Minor. Think of how that would have encouraged them and how it should encourage us. How it should encourage us. So I want to submit to you this morning that the object of the command to, to crave the pure spiritual milk is the Lord God Himself. The Lord God Himself and His life-sustaining grace. Again, Peter uses Psalm 34, 8. You look at what surrounds Psalm 34, 8, and you have God doing all this life-sustaining grace. Times of fear, times of shame, times of trouble, times of disappointment, times of want, answering our prayers. And I submit to you that this pure spiritual milk goes beyond. It certainly can include the Word of God, but it goes beyond the Word of God. It is the Lord God Himself and His life-sustaining grace found in Christ and ministered by the Holy Spirit. That's what we should crave. God Himself and the life-sustaining grace that He provides. God, give me grace today. Here not recently, Lisa and I were praying together and, and the prayer... When some, God, we don't know what to do. 
we're not, we can't figure it out. We're not sure where to go. We have to trust you. What were we doing? Trusting in God's life-sustaining grace. His life-sustaining grace. We are to crave for God Himself and His life-sustaining grace, which is ours because of Jesus Christ, because we are in Him, and it's ministered to us by the Spirit of God. So, I submit to you this morning, based upon this, that as believers, we are not to crave more sermons or read more scriptures, though there's no, those things are not bad. I'm not saying quit reading your Bible. I'm not saying quit listening to podcasts. I'm not saying quit listening to your favorite preacher. I'm not saying that. But that's not what this text is talking about. As believers, we are not to crave more sermons or read more scripture, but rather... Peter states that we are to crave the Lord God and His life-sustaining grace in Christ. His life-sustaining grace in Christ. That's with pure spiritual milk. Now this command to crave is, is presented as being the rational and logical choice of a believer. Because I have tasted, and, and that's the first reason by the way, since you have tasted that the Lord is good, crave. Since you have tasted that the Lord is good, crave. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, and you experienced His righteousness, His forgiveness, when it dawned upon you for maybe the first time of just how much God loves you by sending His Son to die for you, and to take the penalty of your sins, the wrath for your sins. And as you've experienced the mercy and the grace and the compassion and the wisdom and the forgiveness and the patience of God, since you have tasted that, why wouldn't you want more? As, as Larry's answer was, what do you do when you first take, you, know, you want more. Now, you've got to swallow first, or you know, your cheeks are going to, you know, do that. But, but you want more. You taste something good, and you want more. What was that, Lay's potato, wasn't that old Lay's potato chip commercial? Bet you can't eat just one, you know? You know, or the one, oh, this is really old, the owl. How many, how many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a lollipop? One, two, three, you know? Tootsie Roll Pop, yeah, Tootsie Roll Pop. Yeah the, world, yeah, the world may never know. We want it. We want it. We've tasted it, and we want more. And so he makes this logical connection. You've tasted that the Lord is good. You've experienced the life-sustaining grace of God. He's heard and answered your prayers. He's been with you during your fears. He's been with you. He's dealt dealt with your shame on the cross. He's been with you in times of trouble. He's been with you during times of disappointment. He's been with you and supplied your need in times of want. So it just makes sense if He's been the one that's been... Then you, you certainly want to go back for more. I mean, duh. I mean, that's not rocket science. I've tasted it. I've experienced it. So why would I not want to go back for more? So the command crave is presented as being the rational and logical choice of the believer. The first reason, 
since you have tasted that the Lord is good. The second reason is found in a word that is very difficult to translate. It's the word lagakos, and it's translated spiritual. If you go back to 1 Peter, where he says, like verse 2, chapter 2, like newborn infants long for the pure lagakos milk. The pure lagakos, and it's translated spiritual here. This word lagakos is only used one other time, just one, one more time, in all of the New Testament. And keep your place there. It's used by Paul in a very familiar passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Look at Romans 12 and verse 1. You know it. probably can quote it. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is, according the ESV translates it this way, which is your spiritual worship. Your translation might say what? Reasonable. might say reasonable. The idea here of this word, the idea is that of reasonable or rational in the sense of being true to reality. It's reasonable. This is the reasonable or rational kind of worship that you... What's Paul saying here? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable or rational, reasonable or rational worship because of reality. You say, well, what reality? Well, let's think through the book of Romans real quick. Romans starts off by telling us what? We're all guilty and we're all condemned. Whether you're Jew, whether you're Gentile. Whether you follow the law or you don't follow the law. You're guilty. You're born guilty. Those little babies that we have here in this church and those little babies that are about to be born, when they're born, they're born guilty. They're born condemned. We're born guilty and we're born condemned. But as Romans continues to make its, it, it, its argument, Paul says, but in Christ we have His imputed righteousness. The imputed righteousness of God. In other words, it's a righteousness that is not our own. It's a righteousness outside of ourselves. God gives us a righteousness that is outside of ourselves, giving us a standing in grace. When God deals with me, even when God is disciplining me, it's always an act of grace. Always. And where sin does abound, it's in Romans, grace does much more abound. If sin dives 20 feet deep, grace dives 30 feet. If my sin makes me dive 50 feet into the, into the dregs of sin, grace dives 60 feet. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. I'm born guilty and I'm, I'm condemned, but yet because I'm in Christ as a believer, I have been given imputed righteousness and I have now a standing of grace before God. And this standing, Romans 6, 7, and 8, this standing now gives me a new relationship. I have a new relationship with sin. I am no longer a slave to sin. I'm no longer bound to sin. Sin is no longer my master. I have been transferred from the kingdom of sin to the kingdom of grace, Romans 6. I also have a new standing with the law. The law has been fulfilled. I don't have to run to God and make myself acceptable to Him by following a list of do's and don'ts. The law has been fulfilled in Christ. and The law is good, but the law has been fulfilled. And because I'm in Christ... Uh, again, the law is summed up, love God and love my neighbor. 
If I'm loving God and loving my neighbor, the law has been fulfilled. So I have a new standing relationship with the law. I even have a new standing relationship with God because Romans chapter 8 tells me the Spirit of God lives within me. How do you know if a person is a believer? The Spirit of God. If the Spirit of God doesn't live within you, you are not a child of God. But if the Spirit of God does live within you, you are a child of God. How do you know if the Spirit of God lives within you? You just know. You just know. So I have a new relationship, not only with with sin, a new relationship with the law, I have a new relationship with God in Romans 9 through 11. I I have a new status as God's people. I've been grafted in and experiencing, not all of them, but experiencing a lot of the new covenant blessings. I am the people, I'm part of the people of God. The long heritage of the people of God. I'm part of the people of God. Now think about all that. Born condemned. Born guilty, but in Christ. Now, I've been given a righteousness that's not my own, given me a standing with God by grace. I have a new relationship. Sin no longer has dominion over me. The law is not something I have to fulfill. The Spirit of God lives within me. I have a new relationship with God, and I'm part of God's people. Someone who, who was not His people, I am now part of His people. We're all His people. We are, we are all you people, okay? We're all you people. Therefore, Paul then says in chapter 12 and verse 1, Therefore, Paul tells these Christians, brothers and sisters, that presenting their bodies as a living sacrifice is their lagakos worship. It is worship that is true to the new reality in which they now exist. If God's done all of that for me, if I am now a new creation in Christ, the logical thing for me to do, the rational act of worship that I should do is give Him myself. Here I am. Take my body. Take my gifts. Take my talents. Here I am. I give you all of me. Not just a part of me. I give you all of me. That's how it's used. That's the first time it's used. Peter uses it the second time. In our text, Peter tells believers that since they have experienced the new reality of life in Christ through imperishable seed, chapter 1 and verse 23, since you have been born again, not of imperishable, but not of, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed, because of that fact, Their new reality requires sustenance that is true to their new nature. I told you this in Colorado. They've got two dogs, three puppies, three or four cats, ten chickens, ten chickens, two pigs, okay? One day we went to get the pig food, okay? When I got back, and we, were putting the, and we were putting the pig food in the container with pellets about that big, I didn't say, oh boy, I can't wait to chomp down on some of that. Let me put it this way. Suppose somebody, suppose, I don't know, who, who, who should I pick on today? Okay. Uh, so, so, you know, suppose, uh, Kendall and Lissa, I've already done it. I might as well just go ahead and, suppose Kendall and Lissa says, hey, why don't y'all come over to my house today to eat lunch? And we say, great, love to. And we get there, and all of a sudden we hear the can opener. And it's Old Roy. Y'all know what Old Roy is? You know the, okay? And it's not, it's not the hard one. It's, it's, it's stuff that comes out of the can. Old Roy dog food. You know, and they 
push it out there and chomp it up and lay it before us and say, man, you're going to like... I mean, this, this is beef flavor, okay? And if you don't have beef flavor, we've got chicken flavor, okay? And, and this is, this, I mean, you're going you're gonna to love this lunch. I'll find some reason to gag myself, you know, and excuse myself, okay? Why? Because it is not our nature to eat dog food. I mean, I don't care. I mean, Old Roy, I've opened up cans of Old Roy. It just don't smell very good, okay? And I've been tempted once or twice to say, I wonder what this tastes like, but I never have acted upon it, okay? Never have. Don't plan to act upon it. But it's not my nature to eat that. It's not my nature to eat that. If they gave me the old Roy and they gave their dogs pot roast, you know, I'm thinking, well, there's something, something, something going on here. And that's what Peter's saying. Because of who we are in Christ, our nature now requires a different kind of sustenance, a different kind of nourishment that will cause us to grow and mature and give us the things that we need in order to grow in in our salvation. In our text, Peter tells believers that since they've experienced the new reality of life in Christ through imperishable seed, their new reality requires sustenance that is true to their nature. It is... It is illogical for me to eat old Roy. If I came in here next Sunday and told you, man, I tell you, Lisa, Lisa outdid herself this week, last Sunday, and we had old Roy, and we even had that kind of dog food. If you pour hot water in it, you get gravy, you know? I mean, we had gravy and had old Roy, and man, oh man, you think, you know what? Carl and, Carl and Donnie need to get together and we kind of need to figure out what we're going to do with Greg. You know, bless his heart, we need to do something, okay? It's, he's, he's gone. It's not our nature. It's logical for me to want the life-sustaining grace found in Christ, ministered by the Holy Spirit, that's the pure spiritual milk, that which is true to reality. So let me ask you this morning, what's your craving? What is the craving of your life? Are you like a binge eater? Are you like a binge eater, stuffing yourself with the junk food of this world, which never truly, but only temporarily satisfies? There's times that's, that's what I want. There's times that I go after that, that junk food of the world which momentarily satisfies, but it's like, man, I've got to have a sweet. Oh, man, I, I, well, I need something salty now. Oh, man, I, I need something crunchy now. Oh, you know, I need something sweet again. I'm bouncing here and bouncing there and going here and going there, and it might satisfy for a moment as it crosses my taste buds and as it gets ingested and it, it might give that sense of satisfaction, but it's only temporary. It's only temporary. And it never truly satisfies. What do we intensely crave from and for our lives? Is it security? 
comfort? Is it pleasure? Is it freedom? What we need to do is to taste and see that the Lord is good. We're not going to find anything that's going to satisfy in the long haul from the things that the world has to offer us. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you can look every day of your life and you're never going to find it. Because nothing, nothing that the world has to offer will give permanent satisfaction. Nothing. But if you'll taste and see that the Lord is good, you'll find it. That sustains you during the dark hours. That gives you confidence and comfort and hope when you don't know what to do. When your world is spinning. When things are out of your control and you can't fix it. When you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good and you rest in His life, when you rest in God Himself and His life-sustaining grace, it doesn't take the pain away. It doesn't necessarily change the situation, but it does change you. And you can rest in God. As believers, we are commanded to crave the Lord God and the life-sustaining grace that is found in Jesus Christ. So, what are the indicators of a life? What are the... What are the, the, uh, what's the proof? What are the things that we can point to that would let us know that we are craving the Lord God and His life-sustaining grace? What does this life-giving, sustaining grace produce? Well, that's what we'll look at next time when we come back to these verses. And look at this process of getting rid of this and like newborn babes. So that, so that we are able to grow up into salvation. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, thank you again for this day and this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the spirit of God that applies it to our hearts and our lives. Help us to be open and receptive to it today, we pray. For we pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we don't have an altar call, but we do have an invitation. And we want to invite you this morning. Do you have a relationship with God and Jesus Christ? Can you say that you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good? That you have tasted and seen You've experienced the goodness and the kindness of God that's found through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the first place. You've got, you got to take that first taste. And when you taste it, there's nothing like it. It's nothing that can be compared to anything on this earth. To know that your sins are forgiven. To know that God is dealing with you in grace to know that you've been accepted by Him, not because of who you are, not because you've tried real hard, but because Jesus Christ, His Son, 
took your place on the cross, took your wrath, your penalty for your sins. And your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. If you've never done that, you can do that this morning by just crying out to Christ, crying out to God, asking Him to forgive you of your sins and being the Lord and Savior of your life. And if you've done that, if you're doing that right now or you're not sure, and we'd love to talk with you after the services and help you to see and to understand what it means to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And for those of us who are believers, you know, there's a lot of things out there that compete for that. And sometimes those things, I know, you know, for, for me, uh, a lot of the stuff that you can put in water and stuff, it's, that's got uh, different kinds of, different sweeteners, tevia or whatever it is, all the rest of them, it tastes okay to me at the beginning, but there's always an aftertaste. And I don't drink it because I don't like the aftertaste. And that's how it kind of is with the world. We'll, we'll taste all these different things, but there's always an aftertaste. A little bitter. A little unpleasant. And yet, we will run back to it. Run back to it. Are you really craving the pure spiritual milk? Craving God himself and his life-sustaining grace. That's what's good. That is what we want to ingest. That's the logical thing, the reasonable thing, the rational thing for us to do. Because of our past experience because of our new nature. We're going to go to the Lord in a time of silence and give us an opportunity to allow ourselves to respond to His Word today. And then we'll, we'll close out our worship this morning. Let's go to the Lord in a time of silence.